Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Today I'm joined, once again, by our friend, freelance writer, Nicole Clark. Hi, happy to be here. And we also welcome Range Touch's Cameron Kunzelman. Yep, it's me! <laughs> I'm trying to bring a new, a new energy to Three Moves Ahead. Beautiful. Um, thanks, I hate it. Uh, good. Sometimes I think you need oppositional energy, Rob. I think you need like a, you need a Joker to your Batman, <laughs> mm, or maybe a Joker in the deck, the deck that we're building. And speaking of oppositional energy, uh, we have three very different modern deck builders uh, that we're discussing today. Uh, I suppose we'll be touching a lot on uh, Slay the Spire, Mega Crit Games, Slay the Spire. Uh, we've discussed this game before, but I think it's going to come up a lot in relation to two more recent deck builders uh, that we're going to be talking about a little more specifically. Uh, first, Clay, uh, Clay's Griftlands, uh, which is a roguelike deck builder uh, that is a mix of combat and negotiation, uh, is heavily like character-driven and story-driven. And then uh, Abercom Entertainment's Roguebook, uh, designed by Richard Garfield, uh, which is a very different sort of deck builder from a lot of the modern crop. Uh, if you'd like to see uh, the ways these games are constructed and uh, the ways they differ, I highly recommend you read uh, the piece that Nicole wrote for us over at Waypoint on Griftlands and the piece that Cam wrote on Roguebook uh, for us there as well. Uh, but... I guess for me, where I, the the theme I want to talk around a lot in this in this uh, show is probably this the really different conceptions of how a deck builder can be built and to what degree it should be about chiseling away and like sculpting a strategy out of the randomness of card draws and card drafting. And to what degree it should be about like improvisational creativity uh, when you're actually in the battle, because that's kind of the the two ends of the spectrum uh, that a lot of these games are are working at. Um, for people who haven't played Roguebook, uh, Cam, can you talk through exactly what it is, what you do in that game? Yeah, absolutely. So Roguebook is what if you took Slay the Spire's card battler mechanics uh, in, in a broad sense, that kind of card strategy game where there is a combat sequence uh, that is resolved through you drawing cards and making decisions based on limited resources uh, of what cards you use on your opponents or use on yourself or whatever. What if you take that kind of slay the spire thing and you plop it down into a roguelike map, essentially. Um, so a two dimensional space, it's got a hex grid, and that hex grid is populated by random things. Uh, so um, those things are cards that you can choose to add to your deck. They are health items. They are alchemical shops that allow you to upgrade your cards uh, in, in specific runs. They're not upgraded forever. They're upgraded just for that run. Um, and random events. So, you know, little narrative story things. This is kind of, uh, uh, Roguebook is plugged into a broader storytelling universe that the developers, uh, their, their kind of previous card battler game, it was a little bit more, or not card battler, I guess, their previous card game that was a little bit more like Hearthstone. Um, I didn't play it, and I don't know anything about the lore <laughs> of Roguebook, and I was able to do it just fine. So 
um i wouldn't uh i wouldn't stress on that if you're worried about it but that's the kind of vibe of it it's it's rather than slay the spires kind of linear uh battle to battle progression that's kind of a little um you know i don't know binary chart effectively a little map that gets you to the end this is a big play space and you make choices the kind of i I would say the major choices in the game are um when are you trying to do things in order to maximize the items you have or the cards in your deck versus when are you trying to move forward and of course things like health are difficult to maintain um things like deck consistency is a little bit difficult to maintain because unlike many of these other games rogue book very specifically does not allow you to get rid of cards sometimes you can transform cards but you can't get rid rid of cards in your deck meaning that uh as the game gives you random cards or as you are attaining uh, new cards you're having to kind of on the fly develop new strategies as opposed to something like slay the spire where the optimal quote-unquote play of that game is get cards figure out the strategies that you want to implement in that run and then try to get rid of as many cards as humanly possible <laughs> that are, that don't have anything to do with that strategy um so that's kind of the the, the basic gist of it card game on a roguelike setup that has some different assumptions than other card battlers. And Nicole, for people who haven't played Griftlands, uh, talk us through what a run of Griftlands uh, tends to look like. Absolutely. So Griftlands also takes cues from Slay the Spire, but it is much more narrative in nature. And so there are three playable characters, but when you start, only one of them is unlocked. Um, Her name is Sal, and she's a bounty hunter. And it's set in this place called Haveria. And I mean, the location could be more on the nose. It's called Murder Bay. (laughs) And you as Sal are taking assignments um, as a freelance bounty hunter and deciding whether to negotiate or fight your way out. And these negotiations or battles are different kind of plays on the Slay the Spire type uh, deck builder. But what makes the game really fun is that it has the same kind of linear, like you go travel to different places along the map and then you have this boss fight all leading up to like the biggest boss fight at the end of day five. So it has a very similar aspect of you're building these decks and you also want to make sure like it's consistent across the playstyle you're using, but it's built on top of this really responsive world. And so an example of what might happen is you start off at this bar uh, run by your friend and she's helping you find folks who want to give you work. Um, and so one of my favorites is there's a character called Plaka the Swab who sells graphs, which are a lot like... Um, runes i think they are in slay the spire but they basically are just like these little power-up items that give you like a special uh skill or tool you can use and you have to decide whether you want to help clock of the swab or whether you want to backstab them and the thing they end up asking you to do is go to a person's house and rip a graft out of their head (laughs) um and you make these decisions on the fly um And every single one of them kind of ends up coming back later because Plaka sells graphs. So if you piss them off, then those become more expensive for you for the rest of the run. 
or you can have an ally in them. Um, and if you ally really closely with certain characters, you get these passive boons that enhance the negotiation or battle you're doing. Like one of my favorites is if you side with the laborer, laborers, you get this boon called uh, Voice of the People, which makes you a better negotiator because you have this like special um, like negotiation power that you start every round with. Um, you can also intimidate people. Like you could do a run where you don't talk to anyone and you just go on a murder spree and your negotiation deck would get an extra card um, that makes you better at intimidating because you have a reputation for murder. <laughs> um, and so like the possibilities are endless. It's really fun because I find myself fixating less on like the pure strategy of the deck builder combat or negotiation more on like the linear story and the friendships I'm making. And also of course the pets that I adopt, um, <laughs> which is like a touch that they added after the alpha that I just really liked. Yeah. And I think both of these are kind of really different directions from uh, what Slay the Spire kind of turns into as you sort of get more and more familiar with it, uh, which is that in a lot of ways, Slay the Spire begins to be about uh, sort of constructing builds on the fly and sort of committing to a vision and, and shaping your game around uh, sort of a line of play that you're going to repeat again and again and again uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. Like as a, as a run in Slay the Spire continues, uh, really the objective usually is to be as efficient as possible at executing your strategy uh, while keeping yourself reasonably flexible in the face of the types of challenges uh, Slay the Spire tends to throw at you. And I think Slay the Spire, as I, as I play it, uh, you know, again, and, and sort of, uh, you know, try out different, uh, like, ascendancy levels, um, it is a game that does feel like it is uh, continually sort of ratcheting up the pressure. Uh, as I play and sort of demanding uh, as as more cards are being introduced, it is one that is uh, kind of always demanding greater levels of efficiency that the uh, what what felt like pretty buttoned down strategies or buttoned up strategies uh, early on. Turn out not to be turn out they're they're actually too loose and too variable uh, for for where the game increasingly starts to go later. Uh, and so you're, you're kind of always being pressed to uh, uncover more efficiencies and identify even more, um, even more like machine like ways of constructing your deck uh, as you go along. I think. I think Rogue Book and um, and Grifflands to an extent are both, at least to me, first first blush they seem like different answers to maybe the problems that that sort of pressure creates where, where Slay the Spire, I think one of the things that makes it really engaging at first is that it's so experimental. Uh, there, there's a lot of joy of discovery in the, in the early stages of, of one's time with, with Slay the Spire. Uh, and eventually I think it gets, you know, that, that, that feeling of pressure, uh, you know, does start to ramp up. To me, it feels like Grifflands kind of takes this attitude that, well, what if we had a lot of those loops, but it's all done in this like cool fantasy sci-fi uh, like 
heist movie uh, vibe <laughs> in, in some ways. Whereas Rogue Book seems to go a different, the other direction where it's not so much about vibe as it is. No, we're going to make it so that you're not going to be agonizing over uh, whether or not you can add something to your deck. We're not going to have you agonizing about whether or not you can take another toy uh, out of the box. Uh, you have to just keep adding toys to that. The The fun is going to come uh, and the frustration is going to come as you try to figure out what exactly you're supposed to do with all this stuff uh, that you get in a game of Roadbook. Um, and... I don't know. Like for for me, I kind of I I like both approaches. I I do have to admit, I am finding Grifflands a bit more approachable. Uh, Rogue book is hard, and there's not a lot there's not a lot of theming I find that I'm engaging with uh with, with Rogue book to keep me going. Whereas Grifflands, I'm just kind of bouncing along uh with the with the cool little crime epic story. Yeah, I so I loved Slay the Spire when I first started playing it. It was the first uh, deck builder I had played um, like on a Switch or like as a video game. Like I played deck builders as tabletop games, but never got to enjoy like the thrill of a, of a deck that shuffles itself and like calculates the damage <laughs> for you. And what you described as that like the learning curve of Slay the Spire, but also like the, the sheer thrill of having a run go wrong and then unlocking cards and then seeing how those cards would make your next run just so much better and like finally cinching a strategy was very thrilling initially but i also just have like the most chaotic like very intuition based not overthinking what i'm assembling playstyle which just didn't work for slay the spire which i think requires like a, a higher level of precision especially as it gets harder Versus, like, I recently started playing Rogue Book, and I like that it forces you to pick up more cards. Like, it doesn't force you because you get a choice of taking them or turning them down, but the more cards you have unlocks these abilities that uh, either one character in your party or both characters in your party have. So it's seriously incentivized. Um, I like the latent chaos. Like, I like just having stuff thrown at me and then me having to adapt and then like finding fun in having to navigate around like the weird stuff the game is throwing at me I will say like the living board part of it is super fun but it's really like I misused all of my ink so many times and there's nothing more frustrating than when you have this really great build and like you're so excited to do like your next fight. And then you're just like, oh, I don't have any ink left. I have to fight the boss now. And I am under leveled for that. Um, and like Grifflands, I think, honestly, much of the time, I'm not even thinking about the deck building strategy. I'm like totally invested in the friends I make. And when I beat a run, it's not because my deck is good. It's because my passive boons mm -hmm. are good because I've spent the whole time like, befriending characters so that they like me and then getting drinks with them so that they love me and like give me a passive boon which is maybe a bad strategy because getting a drink adds like tipsy cards to your deck which are just like deck bloat <laughs> but i think that says more about me than the game 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I, th- I I agree with all that, actually. I think that, you know, part of the grabbiness of Griftlands um, very clearly is that it seems like, is it is it clay? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I don't know why I, 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 I uh, uh, didn't know how to say it, but um, I, I think that there's something going on weird uh, in my brain with uh, with every clay product which is that I think all of their games look really cool and seem to be very interesting. And then I try to play them and I bounce off of them extremely hard. Hmm. Um, I had the exact same relationship with Don't Starve and I've even tried Don't Starve a few times. I'm the total opposite. Um, I love Don't Starve. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, everything about it seems really cool to me. and the, But the actual act of play, I just find, uh, you know, uh, aesthetically not where I'm at, both visually and and kind of narratively, I think. The way the way that their games build, I think, are, is not what I enjoy the most. And I don't I don't really have a good way of like talking about it or even, you know, kind of qualitatively explaining that there's something really weird that happened to me with with Griftlands where, you know, you spend 10 minutes with that thing. And it's very clear what all the grabby pieces are. Right. And it's exactly what you were just talking about, Nicole, that that there is this central kind of core component of the deck building game. But and and Griftland, not but, but and Griftlands has said, all right, how many kind of game systems can you uh, create that hook into that? Yeah. You know, kind of creating this kind of almost chain mail effect of interlinked um, systems, which I think like every part of that conceptually, I find really cool. Um, and then I'm sitting here like reading this conversation in uh like fake language that is only rendered as text in front of me. And I, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't enjoy any of this. <laughs> like I, I'm having not a good time here. And like I said, I don't, I don't have even a good way of, of, you know, kind of qualitatively walking through that. There's something that kind of gut feeling. Um, I'm just, I, I, I just don't feel, um, I do think the the I, I like the iterations that are being done on the uh, on the combat mechanics specifically. I think those are really cool, and I I like the idea of so many different events adding and even in uh, events inside the combat encounter you're in, how they can add new cards and things like that. I think all of that's really well done. Um, I will say I you know something that really struck me as odd is that the conversation deck and uh, negotiation deck i guess is what it's called that i was really kind of struck that the rules are exactly the same as the combat mechanics i thought that was such an odd maneuver that really kind of took me out of it especially having played things like science of the sojourner which uses a deck building mechanic to do narrative kind of stuff and i was really kind of surprised that griftlands had not leaned into maybe some of the design ideas that had been figured out over there in that game um which is all to say, I'm not I'm not saying all this to criticize Griftlands, but there is this kind of like fairy tale with the, the <laughs> fairy tale with all the specifics uh, filed off of it about Rogue Book that I really enjoy. It gives me just enough of this kind of aesthetic container to be like, all right, well, this is a big salamander guy, and he <laughs> he you know runs into people or whatever, um, but not enough where I have to keep any of that in my head. Um, uh, there's something in, for me in these card battler games where just enough is enough for me um i uh 
a really interesting experience I had with Grifflands actually is I, I played the first time I played it, I played it for maybe 15, 20 minutes or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And I like went to bed and I booted it up later and continued my run and had no idea what was happening. <laughs> like even a little, like the game does not give you any tools for, for picking yourself back up if you don't remember it in your head. And so there's this kind of really interesting push pull where it's a run based game that will save your progress but has narrative components where um, you're going to have to like hold on to that yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. That's a big bundle of thoughts there uh, about Griftlands, but there, there's something really interesting for me going on there with Griftlands might push my tolerance for mechanics that are built out or, or narratives or, or whatever that are built out of card battler games. It might push it like 25% too far um, for me to like hold it all in my head and, and really get into it. Yeah, I will say I've noticed with Clay and like I'm biased because they are one of my favorite studios, but they tend to preference like world building or storytelling storytelling elements occasionally in ways that I feel like those are more important to them than like the pure game mechanic of the deck builder or of the survival sim in the case of Don't Starve. Like I've played both games and felt at times like or, or also Oxygen Not Included where the thing that happens mm. is like not really fair to me as a player, especially based off of the investment I've made. But I think like the reason I like their games is because I feel like the unfairness is like almost always hilarious. Um, thanks to the storytelling and world building. Like I think an example of Grifflands is that you can form this alliance like for four days. And then on day five, if you don't do this one favor for them before the auction, they'll just like get mad at you and won't help you anymore, which on one hand is like kind of frustrating to invest four in-game days to this thing to not see it out. But also to me, it was like hilariously fickle because I thought to myself like, yeah, like a character in the Admiralty, which is like, you know, the um, ruling class <laughs> would absolutely just like dispense of me if I didn't follow like the last thing they asked for. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I there's there, there's a lot there. Um, I I think Cam, when you're talking about there's just enough uh, aesthetic container for uh, Rogue Book, I I think for me it is I don't know. It's a strange. I do not know what it is about Rogue Book that is leaving me so utterly cold. It looks perfectly pretty. I like the character art. Like I like the you know um the intro is beautiful yeah yeah and like the 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 art for the enemies uh tends to be pretty sharp and like full of character but something about it is just so yeah that that feeling of it's a fantasy world with the serial numbers uh filed off <laughs> that takes me out of it a lot mm -hmm. uh i think yeah. you know after that intro where it's like well here we are in uh, generic fantasy limbo. Uh, I guess we're just doomed to repeat this uh, forever. Anyway, go in the gate and start your run. Uh, and that's, you know, and and there you're you're off to the races and then you go through a different gate and end up in a different uh, sort of biome with different sorts of enemies uh, frequently accompanied by a difficulty spike that just hits you out of nowhere and uh, completely shatters your uh, shatters your spirit. Um, that 
contra- like I like the game more. I am certain of that. The but the the feel of hanging out with it and spending time in that world uh, in Rogue Book is just so it's such a non place uh, for me. Whereas Griftlands, maybe it almost goes up to the edge of being oppressively uh, full of character. Um, it is it, like just every scene has another colorful, quirky, offbeat, uh, you know, e- insurance ass uh, character <laughs> that is uh, that, that's, that's popping up in the background. Um, but somehow it ends up working for me because I do kind of like the 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 chain of favors um dynamic of a lot of the missions that you're going on in in Griftlands and the little like twists where you gotta decide if you're gonna stick it out with your original client or uh sort of stab them in the back all this stuff ends up keeping me going even if I'm not sure I like the game as much I think when you when you sort of talk about um the fact that fundamentally the debates and the physical combats are operating according to like identical rules and dynamics um that that is a bit of a turnoff uh especially because i think the physical combat actually is is way less is even less interesting a a lot of times i'm finding the uh the interactions in like actual battles uh to be even less involved than what I'm doing with the debates. Um, but I think probably the, the, the big thing that keeps me at arm's length from Griftlands is actually going back to slay the spire really quickly. Um, I think something that helps slay the spire is that even though it might take a little bit to reveal uh, what it's actually doing to you, where 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 it's actually kind of saying, no, you need to, yeah, you've got, a, you've got tons of possibilities here, but you really need to pick some directions. You really need to figure out what you want to do and figure out what sort of synergies uh, you want to work with here. I think for me, something that frustrates, frustrates me a bit with Griftlands is that it takes so long for my decks to start feeling interesting. Um, and I think that's partly because of the way cards progress over the course of a game, um, that Griftlands, I think has a almost gravitational pull in the early stage of the game to feel like you're working with very large decks of trash. (laughs) Um, and it takes a little bit too long for me to really start being like, okay, yeah, now I've really built something up here. Now I really like the engine I built. It's fun to uh, sort of turn it against this this enemy or that enemy. Um, for just a little bit too long, there's an awful lot of I'm just gonna spam gar- spam garbage cards uh, at this person until they agree with me, um, which is a you know a decent simulacrum of like Twitter debate, I guess, uh, but <laughs> doesn't always doesn't always feel as cool as the game world seems to be. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess the, the way I would put it is the, like the characters are all kind of, um, you know, kind of underworld mercenary badasses. 
um, with sort of fractious alliances, uh, you know, shallow allegiances and a whole lot of self-interest and enduring grudges. Um, and then in terms of how they often end up like bashing against each other, uh, it's an awful lot of like very basic stuff. They're turning against each other. Uh, and it takes a it takes a little bit too long for me to start to feel like my deck is catching up to the way my character is portrayed, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting, I think, about Griftlands or both of these games, uh, I think something really useful to think about for me is that they both begin from the assumption that Slay the Spire is not enough. Right. And like they go in different directions with that. You know, the Rogue Book basically becomes a board game and uh griftlands becomes like an rpg um and they decide all right let's let's get a bunch of kind of ideas from those two kind of different distinct genres and and then fold them onto the top of uh, uh slay the spire what's interesting to me is that rogue book basically says all right well we need to get richard garfield involved <laughs> and um and have him do the magic the gathering thing i mean i i you know cards on the table ha 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 uh I, I think I like Rogue Book because there are a lot of assum Richard Garfield assumptions that come into that game. And I think that Richard Garfield is a good designer. And, and you know, all of that is historical. I've been playing Magic the Gathering for 15 years or something like that. I am uh, in that universe. And so I, I think I have maybe a predilection to liking some of those design decisions. But what I think that you're you're pointing to, Rob, which which I totally agree with, I think that Griftlands could go further. In fact, I I, I think that something that really uh, is interesting about it is that it says Slay the Spire is not enough, so here's a bunch of additional systems. But I think it could obliterate a whole bunch more of Slay the Spire kind of stuff and still be really cool and still do you know all the the stuff that Nicole is talking about as far as. Uh, the grabbiness of the story and and how that kind of pulls pulls you in and and puts you in interesting situations. Um, it might need just less of the slay the spire bones in that regard. Um, and I actually think I might enjoy the game more if I weren't comparing it so much to slay the spire because I agree. I you know I think that first, especially the first couple runs of the game, very much I was like, all right, this is going slow. Like <laughs> this is. This is going really slow uh, for me. And in some of the assumptions from Slay the Spire that stick around, I, th I find absolutely bewildering. Like the, the idea that from battle to battle, you should be maintaining your health state, which is critical to the kind of board gamey stra strateginess of both uh, Slay the Spire and Rogue Book. I don't think that's necessary for Griftlands at all. I think it would actually be a much smoother game and have a lot more um, individual battle kind of uh capability i think the design space for individual battles would get bigger and be maybe a little bit more interesting as far as what cards could do if it didn't carry the assumption that this is a game of attrition because nothing else in the rpg layer in the kind of uh, narrative layer that that builds out of the card battle mechanics none of that is suggesting that you're like <laughs> slowly being whittled down in a dungeon <laughs> you're walking around in a town and doing stuff and so, uh, you know, if Griftlands 2 happens or whatever, and, and I think the game is doing well well enough that we'll see some iteration on it, I, I think they should get rid of more Slay of the Spire and they should go further in whatever the, the clay direction is. Because even if it isn't for me, um, I can absolutely see places where it could go further beyond me uh, in my desire. And I think that would probably be better. Yeah, I 
everything you say matches up with what I know about uh, the origin of the game. Since I'm like a, I've played a lot of stuff from Clay, I followed their initial announcements as they were developing Grifflands. And initially it was an untitled game premised on the idea that that the world would be like completely responsive to what the player does. And they went so far as to build out this RPG that like had its own internal like economy and a ton of like different dialogue branches and characters. Um, and as part of an announcement, they stated like this project was going to take longer to develop because they realized what they made didn't have like the actual gameplay engagement that they wanted to. And so I think the Slay the Spirey elements like came after that initial concept that I think is like what mm. pulls most people to the game. And I totally agree with you on like the idea that the deck itself like doesn't really feel up to par with the character. Like I think another thing that feels that way for me is that the enemies like their attack styles are generally like pretty funny and like related to what their characters are. If you're fighting a wealthy civilian merchant, they will make you pay to play some of your cards or you know that. if you're fighting this chemist um you know they'll disorient you and make your cards have different values to me that's where the fun is but the evolution of unlocking additional cards because i'm thinking sal's so cool sal's a bounty hunter shouldn't sal have some special abilities like these you know enemies that i'm fighting or negotiating against um i totally see that God, that's I, so the oh. thing about characters uh sort of running a game on you in some of the debates um i love that so much like the the notion that uh, the the moments where i think grifflands its conceits do work for me is this notion of um oh yeah this character will play will like fill your deck with basically bribery cards yep. and they will work to resolve the argument you'll win by paying them yep. Uh, and so it's like, on the one hand, you can you can spend one of your resources to win this fight faster uh, just by paying these bribes. But it fits so perfectly with the idea of, yeah, you're you are working. You are arguing with a corrupt merchant and their objective is actually to lose the argument for the most money possible. Um, and, and that sort of uh, w when that stuff comes together, uh, it, it works really well. Um, but. But yeah, I, I, I do also sort of see that there's there are places where uh, I don't know, it's I, I, maybe it's got a bit of that. Um, there's so many things happening in Grifflands and I, and I guess for me, it come is one of those things where if you have some really good things. And. Like. Or even mo even a lot of really good things, but then a few really middling things. The middling things stand out in 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 stark relief, right? And end up, I think, having casting a longer shadow, yeah, uh, than they necessarily should. But sometimes I, that that is sometimes something I get from Grifflands, where it's like, uh, yeah, for for me, a lot of times it is, you know, what I could do with less of fighting. <laughs> you know, what I could do more do with more of just going around this island chatting with people and uh trying to convince them to join in on my scheme 
Um, but every time the game's like, all right, but now you got to fight this person. And because you don't like fighting, uh, the deck, your, your deck is extra boring. <laughs> I'm like, shit. <laughs> or like the fact that I, I have a love hate relationship with the fact that making a decision to side with someone just like makes that other character hate you. Like on one hand, I think it's like kind of dynamic yeah. and fun and like ballsy and makes the game move faster. But I wish there was a way to make the people not hate you that didn't involve just getting a drink with them. Like, I wish you had a side quest that was like, do this person a favor or um, I don't know, like that part of it. Or I, I will say, like, my favorite thing is I, I really love making a character hate you and then intimidating them into you being able to murder them in self-defense. <laughs> So I think the game is like good for when when you're willing to just go full chaos, um, which might be why I'm into it. But I I do think like there there are certain basic mechanics there that it's telling when I'm playing a game and like the ostensibly the game mechanic of fighting is like the thing that I'm fatigued with. <laughs> to Rob's yeah. point, yeah. Uh, I mean, what, what's striking to me, too, I think I might already said that at some point during the show. Apologies to everyone if I'm repeating the word striking. Oh, my God, we're reason. so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, but uh, but what you said earlier, Nicole, about this being, you know, uh, just a, you, at some point in development, right? Being maybe more of a straight up, you know, um, world shaping RPG mm -hmm. kind of thing and maybe that not being gamey enough. And so them having to pivot, I I think that unlocked really something for me around maybe part of my response here. And part of my response is that this game shares, I think shares as much DNA with the Yogg as it does uh, uh, Slay the Spire. And I love the Yogg. Mm. And I think that if this game was just, let's let's run around this map over a series of days let's talk to people and let's uh you know based on those conversations uh in the decisions you make it changes the shape of the world sometimes you have to respond to events and that was happening within the kind of griftlands fictional universe uh i would be way into that i would be super into that game kind of a you know the yog plus you know or 200 percent complexity yog uh and if people have not played that game uh, every everyone should play it. It is it is required <laughs> video game experience for sure. Uh, the basic pitch: if people are not aware of it, the Yog is a game. Uh, over the course of several days, you are uh, part of like a little team of people who are just hanging out and partying in a city and having a good time. You know, I think in a week at the beginning of the game, the Yog is coming, and the whole game is about what your people decide to do between here and there. So it's just kind of kind of a very light RPG. I love that in that way. Oh, it's, uh, it's amazing. I haven't played it, but uh, truly, I definitely want to now. Give it a shot. It is. I. I. It's maybe a little bit thinner than what I just described. Just you know, when you play it, but uh, it apex gaming experience, but and very similar to the kind of map running around and time management stuff you're having to do with Griftlands. Just obviously without Slay the Spire, uh, combat mechanics in there. I'd be way into that game. Uh, it, I think it precisely is this kind of what I think Nicole used the word fatigue, but. Um, even in the amount that I played of Griftlands, which is like one fifth of what I've played of Roguebook or something like that, and certainly way less than Slay the Spire, I was fatigued by the kind of interactions I was having over and over again. I, I don't know. I think I would like this game just if it removed those things. And this was like a kind of a little bit of a Star Wars-y kind of uh, social manipulation RPG. Um, yeah. But I get why. I, I especially get why a studio like Clay would go 
in the the more mechanic-y kind of direction trying to make sure that that's in there because that's all the rest of their games too very systems driven well and clay also feels like a studio that just loves their games to have the appearance at least of being just welcoming endless time sinks um Hmm. where you can just like hang out and just like play and repeat and play their games uh and there are times that like there there are moments griftlands actually puts me in mind of um blendo games in some ways uh Hmm. where like there's an idea here and an arc it's, it's really satisfying, but it doesn't necessarily benefit from being repeated and repeated and repeated. Uh, even though it's a, sort of a, a run-based game, uh, in in some ways, there's there's times where I'm like, this this experience could have been pared down to focus on uh, like less encounters for the sake of encounters and a little more. Uh, just the sort of stories you're telling as you make different choices uh, with this this rogues gallery of of characters, um, and I think Grifflands um, kind of makes makes this choice to uh, be a game that there's a ton of possible variety uh, in it. Is all that variety particularly interesting? Um, on the narrative front, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. There's lots of cool little relationships you can build and different ways that the world can react to you. Uh, on the encounter side, on the on the battlefield, um, it's not quite there, but you end up having to take that, not even bad with the good, it's just, again, middling with the good. Um, but I think it, it, it kind of does uh, check the momentum of the game a little bit. I want to turn to Rogue Book, though, uh, because I, I do think, if, you know, we're talking about why encounters can feel a little bit flat in not not too short order in Griftlands. Um, how do they feel in Rogue Book? Because uh, at least in my experience, you're going to be also running the same areas again and again and again and encountering a lot of the uh same like early game enemies uh before you start being able to just like tear through them um i'm curious how y'all feel about the loop in rogue book and sort of the way encounters are built and how they're how they're designed to to interact with the way you progress in that game so mm-hmm. I started Rogue Book for the first time on Saturday, and I've already played like 15 to 20 hours. <laughs> um, I, I described it to friends as like, story-wise, I have no idea what's going on, but I love it here. <laughs> because the characters, their appearance and their attack styles, like I think Cameron said, make sense. And a lot of them are really funny. Like on the second floor, there's an enemy called the Yakapult. And it's just a catapult that throws yaks at you. Um, And at a lower level, like you would have fought a group of those yaks individually. So it's like kind of satisfying for the harder level boss to not just be some yaks, but to be like a catapult of yaks being thrown at you Um, at the same time. And it might just be because like, I haven't unlocked enough or like I 
I haven't figured out like the strategy or the skill needed to get to the third floor. Like I haven't even gotten to the final boss. And so part of what's keeping me playing is like, if I get there, will I, is there a story that I'm going to learn about? Um, but just the play loop of like figuring out which cards you add to your deck is pretty satisfying on its own because versus Grifflands where it feels like your deck is kind of like this vestigial thing that you slowly grow, but you're mostly there for the story. I found that Rogue Books deck, it just like you can very quickly create a strategy and like where Slay the Spire kind of makes you want to really focus on one strategy and pare it down. Rogue Book, at least the way I play it, is like you can have multiple and they can complement each other. Like I can do a bleed play and it can mm -hmm. complement a dagger play. And I have these gems that have these like abilities that I can use to modify existing cards. So if I have a gem that adds bleed damage and I put it on like a card that produces daggers, like then those two play styles really complement each other. Um, I will say like, I don't think I would have been able to pick this up or enjoy it as much if I hadn't played Slay the Spire first, because there is like a, a base floor knowledge of deck building that I came in with versus Grifflands, which I think on one hand, the fact that negotiation and battle is very similar is a little less interesting. It's a little more accessible. And like I've heard from folks who don't play deck builders at Grifflands is like a thing that they could understand. Um, going into Rogue Book, like I stuck to what I had learned from Slay the Spire and it took me like a solid 10 hours to realize what half of the ally cards did. Because <laughs> um, some of them say like, if you leave it, it'll whatever, you know, like spirit number you have will attack the front enemy that much. But I had no idea if I like clicked on the icon, it would swap the order of my heroes, which would have been like an amazing thing for me to have probably like read a little better. <laughs> Because there have been so many runs where my front hero dies, but my back hero would have been fine. Um, and so there's a degree to which part of my desire to replay Rogue Book is I don't even know that certain play styles exist yet. And the more I play, the more I realize there are new types of play styles that are complementary to one another. And so it's not just that each run I'm trying a new play style. It's that each run there's these like different variables thrown at me. And also I'm figuring out if, if these various types of approaches work together. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think that's one of the really big strengths of the game. And, and Richard Garfield has said um, that part, that part of the desire for the game, you know, an originary idea that he had, because he's a co-designer, a huge influence on it, it seems like. I've, I've read, you know, some interviews and things like that. But, um, you know, he didn't do the whole thing, but but I think his influence can really be felt. But but his idea was, you know, if if you if you can't pare down your deck and you're and you're having to constantly add cards, then those additions should matter, you know, and and pr produce the exact scenario that you were just talking about where you're finding that things that appear to be kind of from different, you know, build pathways or whatever, that those things actually can influence each other um, in really cool and novel ways, which, uh, you know, is not something really that happens all that much in Slay the Spire. Um, I mean, I'll say you know, my experience is, is quite a bit different with the game because I think the second or third time that I ever played the game, it's it's up on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash range touch and watch uh, Danny and I, uh, you, uh, Range Touch co-founder and I, you can watch us play, 
I think my second or third game ever of it. So you, so you can like see us trying to figure it out, but we get to the, the final boss. Uh, and I think the game right after that, I beat the game for the first time. So I beat it very, That's very rad. quickly and kind of got through some of the story stuff. Um, but I think that a lot of that has to do with what I was talking about earlier, right? This kind of magic, the gathering logic of design that's in there. Um, for example, you were talking about the kind of ally cards, you know, the allies, weirdly enough, they don't read like video game cards would they read like magic cards do hmm. uh, they, they have a, a kind of like, a, you know, whizzy wig. What you see is what you get. They literally do the exact same, the same thing that they, they say, but but the way that that is phrased is not particularly friendly or informative. <laughs> so you kind of have to just kind of trust that it's going to do what it says on the on the label, as it were. Yeah, I just uh, buy cards because but because fun. of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there, yeah, there's like a a, a fish bus, and like he's cool. There's like a little like a uh, gremlin monk guy. Um, there's uh, oh God, what's the guy's name? It's not Doki, whatever his name is. Um, there's like a little, there's a bunch of little gremlin fellows. Point being, uh, is that, so because I kind of got through the game very early, it became, uh, a lot of the gameplay for me at that point became, okay, well, how do you, you know, Rob, like you were talking about this kind of startup slowness to it. Well, how do you address startup slowness? And the game actually, by using this kind of unlockable resource or this gatherable resource of pages or whatever they're called. Um, you can unlock things that change the world generation at the beginning of the game. So like when the this uh, roguelike world is generated, the variables of what shows up and with what frequency, you can impact that by using your pages. So one of the ways of um, changing that, changing that startup slowness is increasing the number of cards that generate. Um, one of the ways of doing it is increasing the number of enemies that generate, which after you beat the game, I think once or twice, um, you unlock this big array of new challenges. So it changes the world generation. Um, so for example, um, one of them is all elite enemies on a, on a map have to be defeated before you can go to the boss. And so, so yeah, so then it really changes the dynamic of, of now you're not just trying to get through the level, but you're trying to plot a, a path through these enemies in order to get there which which really changes like what the early game looks like so what, what i i really value about rogue book in that scenario is once you have it down once you've beaten it once or twice the game really can change and scale up with your kind of comfort level um that doesn't really change that if, if you're not at that point that does, obviously doesn't change your experience of the game but um, that would be the point, right? Cause there's a universe where that doesn't happen. And I beat, um, I beat the game once or twice and then I just never play it again, which frankly is what happened to me with slay the spire. I, I played the game, uh, quite a lot and got to the point where I could reliably get to the end or beat it nearly every time. And I've stopped playing it because that was no longer interesting Same. to me. Um, so there, so, you know, there is this, um, uh, grabbiness, I guess, you know, uh, to, being able to augment the whole play experience and having a set of mechanics that, that care about doing that. Makes that makes me think of Hades, which I think did a really wonderful job of making the game continually fun to play, um, regardless of whether you hadn't uh, beaten the game yet or whether you had made it to the surface. Mm -hmm. Still have not played that oh, game. It's so good. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to at this point. Are you just digging your heels in now? 
I now I am. Yeah. As of right this moment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just not like that style of game is just not not my jam uh, in a general <laughs> sense. And uh, I've gone this far. You know, I, I, I went to uh, I went to grad school with someone who finished his Ph.D. in film, having never seen The Godfather. <laughs> And uh, I aspire to to such uh, heel digging. Contrarian Kunzelman. Uh we don't. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not even contrarian. I bet Hades is great. I bet it's excellent. I I just don't know about it. Oh, just now, but now now it just sounds condescending. <laughs> now you're. I'm sure that's. I'm sure know. it's wonderful. I'll bet people who like it really love it. <laughs> I'm up here bet, on my on my great. hill, waving mm-hmm. down below. Mm-hmm. I bet I look. I bet it's a great game for people who like it. Okay, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Just let people uh, like. No, it. Let I mean people enjoy things. Uh, yeah, sometimes you have to be radically ignorant. I've been radically ignorant about Homestuck, and I'm radically ignorant about Hades, and I own up. To oh, it. I'm radically ignorant about Dark Souls. Um, but that I think it's also because I. I just I haven't been playing a lot of like console games lately and the PC I have to play games is like a very, very old one that when I try to boot up mm. anything that's like bigger than Valheim or bigger than like an, an indie game that takes up less space, it just doesn't do very well. <laughs> Let me tell you, though, what's the fastest way to realize how little you need new games is you get a more modern machine and realize all the good shit you want to play is like 10 years old. <laughs> and you're just like oh damn like i should just you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna download the the hottest games of like 12 years ago like what should i turn this supercomputer against uh how about a five gigabyte download with a maximum resolution of 1080 uh i have to say playing skyrim on the switch is really really bizarre because the switch is like I it's I can do platforming on it, but like it, the precision is just not the same as like playing Skyrim on a PC or on a PS4. I mean, I'm sure this is a thing many people have said before, but for some reason it didn't occur to me. <laughs> so, yeah, it becomes Wait, here's a console question for you really quick. Yeah. Is, is Griftlands available on on a console yeah, of any sort? It's on Xbox and Switch. Ooh, how does it play on there? I have no idea. Do we know? I don't tried, think they that? made. I don't. That's where I played it. I don't think they oh. made the best choices mm. uh, oh, in okay. how. So, all right, we come well, a little Xbox controller in front of me here. Mm-hmm. So, same. I've got one. I right, yeah. got one right here. I don't I'm, I'm going to go along with you. All right. Basically, all right. the right hand face buttons, uh-huh. uh, going clockwise from top. Y B A X. Uh-huh. They decided yeah. that X would be your your next button, basically, uh, to sort of leaf through dialogue. And A would be your like choose an option. Ooh, spicy. Uh, like option. And then uh-huh. anytime you brushed your right thumbstick, it would go into cursor mode and it would deactivate no. like the A button and the X button. <laughs> I hate that for you. So. So. <laughs> and by the way. A lot of times the game is like, you're going to press X, but it doesn't prompt you to press no. X. You're like, all right, character said something. And you're like, great. This is how I and feel I when like, I'm on Instagram and they want me to post something to my feed. But but like, oh God. but it flips between story because the little toolbar on the bottom is like oh, so fuck stories. Fuck stories. I hate them so much. Yep. God damn it. Um, no, I don't. You know what my story is? If I'm the 
it'll be a post it'll be a fucking photo with a caption that's the only that's the story i'm here to tell <laughs> anyway though uh yeah so with this you're constantly like disabling your own controls because you've gone into cursor mode and it's like you have to exit cursor mode to be able to like use the the menus again basically mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you can put your cursor over it but they didn't really up like upscale the uh the user interface so the buttons are actually kind of tiny so you really gotta draw dead aim <laughs> with the cursor <laughs> to choose it or you can go back into like menu mode uh but the thing is it's constantly like there's a lot of places where X and A are basically interchangeable, but it will not ever let you just use X to select an option and like move conversation forward. Oh. For that, it's always like, no, 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 no. You gotta you gotta use the choose button for this, not the next not the next button. Uh well, this is a real roller coaster because I I the reason I asked this question was hey, maybe if I sit down in front of the TV, you know, have a little bit more a little bit less of a here I'm at my computer doing, you know, my my strategy and card game business. If I if I approach it more like I would, an, you know, an RPG on the TV, I might have a better time of it. But it sounds like fighting through the controls might. It's make a, it it's fine. It's just it's a minor irritation. But the thing is, like, Slay the Spire on Xbox is just effortless. Like, it's fine. It feels great. Uh, yeah, I play Slay like, the Spire Riftlands, on Switch, and it's great. Yeah. Mm. And but see, Nicole, you're happy with 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 Grifflands on Switch, right? Oh like no, I played that, it on that PC. Kind of... okay. Yeah, I played it on my dinosaur uh, PC. Yeah, I just I am not confident. Uh, yeah, it just feels like PC is where Grifflands would be happiest. Um, uh, it, it, there were just little frictions in uh, in the console version. But going to Roguebook for for one other thing, I, I think. Mm-hmm something that is starting to dawn on me as i'm as i'm playing more of it as well is um yeah so it's also about like make that make that deck nice and big uh like just figure out like what to how to work with what you've got but on the other hand i guess the the thing it does allow is like you can always choose to not increase the size of that deck by like investing instead on transforming cards mm-hmm. uh using like gems mm-hmm. and such and i think this was sort of the breakthrough i i made this weekend where it was like <gasps> i need to stop drafting so many new cards and i need to start upgrading more of my cards with cool effects <laughs> um and so like i've been now the direction i'm going in roguebook is a little bit more like growing a little more judiciously um mm-hmm. but upgrading really liberally uh so that like okay i love this bleed effect um or uh like i am categorically incapable in a card battle or a deck builder um i love free shit oh same For, like cost zero cards same. i will <laughs> I will just shatter my entire strategy in order to cost you cards. Rob, that that zero cost carry that does four defense. I'm like, yeah, give me all of those. They're free. It's a trap. (laughs) It's a trap. The two of you. It's a trap. That's why I never win. But I have so much fun because I love free things. Dude, it's like, yeah, my entire strategy is basically like, trying to find money in your couch cushions <laughs> because it's so satisfying it was like hey there's a lot of money in those couch cushions so i'm like so now basically uh just as i destroyed my just as i set my progress back in slay the spire 
weeks uh by falling in love with like um uh, oh god what's the character the uh the the poison master um mm-hmm. yeah that one yeah i don't know the names of any of them just uh, uh so- sword person poison person yeah. or yeah i'm <laughs> I, i'm all about like the the daggers the 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 poison person can get i'm like give, give me mm-hmm. them daggers give me like and then give me the drafting cards so i can cycle more of the daggers into my deck and just turn those around and does that occasionally mean that i have nothing but like cost zero uh low damage cards in my hand when i need anything but sure but i love it it's free money <laughs> um uh, something... and that is now oh go ahead yeah no but that's increasingly now where i'm going with Ro- with rogue book where i'm like oh wait this this uh uh you know ripost card uh where mm-hmm. i can i can every time i block successfully i get daggers i can't possibly have enough of those cards in my hand <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to tuck in behind this and and go all in on daggers. Yeah, well, I I feel less bad about doing that in Rogue Book because I have like the different. um, What are they called? I want to call my talismans the just like the um, not gems, but they're like boons. And yeah, 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 the the items items, and some of them are like if you play five cards, deal 10 damage to a random enemy. Or like there are there are like different ally cards, like there are builds that you can actually incorporate daggers into that make them feel a little less like deck fluff. Like I got sucked into the same thing in Slay the Spire and at some point realized like, oh, I was I was kind of just sabotaging my hand to fill it with zero cost, like low damage cards. Um, yep. So in Rogue Book, like at first I avoided the dagger play because I was like, this I know is only going to lead to sorrow. Uh, but then when I started to just like fiddle around with it, I realized like, oh, I could add a gem that um, draws a card or I could have like a boon that says or a talent that says if you have no cards in your hand, draw cards. And then every time you draw cards, like add energy or courage or whatever which makes it feel way more tenable like the the punishment for going down like a like a a path that isn't super optimal in rogue book feels way less steep um Mm -hmm. and on the note of loving free things i will say like when i played horizon zero dawn a huge part of my play was getting every single every single free sample box from a merchant like at some point, I just took a break from the main story because I realized every merchant had a free sample box, and all I wanted to do was get the free merch. Um, so we are broken and shattered people here on this podcast. <laughs> we're just we're depraved. We are signing up for email lists in a game. We're like, hey, you know, if, yes. If if, if the the games can add like hey just stay in touch with our newsletter featured to to the vendors i'll be like hell yeah yeah if they're like do Give a free trial yeah. and we'll secretly subscribe you i'd be like hell yeah let's do it yeah what are y'all doing <laughs> this this is bewildering we're, we're winning we're winning uh rogue book by other metrics cam <laughs> yeah we're winning by how Obviously. much we're having fun with free things <laughs> <laughs> what i really like though so rob have you gotten to the final boss um that that exiles all the cards in your deck yet no wait so the, the game the, <laughs> yeah so so you know it's a randomized final boss it's not the same one every time but um there are a few bosses especially at the end or well 
not just final final bosses but there are some enemies in the game where their whole mechanic uh is um punishing you for having too few cards in your deck essentially um and that's actually how i lost when the first time i got to the final boss of the game the first time i lost because i decked um and that's something that you know i always have loved in magic the gathering that you lose the game when you run out of cards and uh that is fully in <laughs> rogue book as well so there's a little bit of a um you know risk and reward to that that i find really powerful i think that's really good um uh but you can al also spend pages at some point to like reveal what that is before you begin the game so if that's going to be the final boss you can basically reset so um i i don't know how i feel about them giving you that that outlet but i do like that 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 exact experience right the the game is assuming or wants you to make a big you know deck of cards that does a lot of stuff you rob said you know what i don't want to do that i want to be a little bit more judicious about how i'm doing this and the game says that's fine but i'm going to put enemies in here that punish you for it and you you need to kill them before they can kill you and so um i really like that they're everywhere for, for me i think what is one of the really great things about rogue book and this is the same thing as magic the gathering is that every everywhere you look in the design there are more places where uh more places where you can find depth and more places where you can find response um and i you know that that to me is the sign of a good game in a general sense um that every corner i feel is rewarding in it i will say that you know i don't think I'm never I'm not going to be playing Rogue Book regularly for the next 10 years of my life. I don't think it's like a quote unquote forever game, but of the uh deck builder genre, it is the one that I've stuck with the longest and um you know, we'll go back to. All right, I think um yeah, for for me I think this is a genre I tend to uh, enjoy in fits and starts. Uh, it is something mm -hmm. I, yeah, none of these games really are ones that I intend to like play. I don't really have, I have very, so few games that I play over and over, like week in, week out uh, these days. But what I look for from deck builders is, can something get me on that really good hook where it's this process of trial and error and experimentation and like bolt of insight or new idea that might be a complete disaster, like going all in on free cards, <laughs> uh, but nevertheless is like a cool new thing to try. These are games that I tend to uh like have really intense flings with basically right where it's like okay this is like slay the spire slay the spire was like my life for three weeks and i was like i think i think i'm not ready for what it is now asking of me like i i had a friend who um so sean sands basically i'm just gonna tell you who it was it was one of our regular panels sean sands um <laughs> I don't know. I might be doing some violence to him here, but <laughs> mm -hmm. do you, he got, uh, do you have a social security number by any chance? Maybe I don't dead. know him, so I'm <laughs> excited to hear what you're going to say. He <laughs> he got so far into Slay the Spire that I am, if memory serves, it's been a couple of years. He made a spreadsheet where he tried to normalize and quant and quantify across character classes the value of cards. I love this. Mm. So mm. basically like what quality draft 
is card X or card Y and like just basically like put them in like a tier list of, okay, if if you see this card, you just have to get it. Can you share that with me so I can be better at this game? (laughs) But the thing is, like, it was such a it was. It was an obviously great idea. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. It was a, an excellent idea. Just on its face, it was it was uh, beyond reproach and not some Fitzcarraldo like uh, <laughs> like endeavor disaster uh, to try and bring order to the inherent levels of chaos that exist in a deck builder. Uh, but nevertheless, that's how that's how deep in he got uh, for mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, before returning to his natural habitat of Path of Exile. Um, and that's not me with these things, right? Me For me, neither. it's like I, I get it to the point where I'm like, oh, yeah, I see what's going on here. And then there's always that extra there's that like extra mile that it's asking of like, OK, but now that you see what's really going on, do you want to get really good at it? And I'm usually like, no, <laughs> I think I've answered the qu- like I was kind of curious Hey, what's all this about? What's going on here? What's it asking of me? Once that question is answered, I become much less interested in the like, okay, well, now I must practice, practice, practice and like study and theory craft uh, to achieve the the, the greatest heights possible with it. I'm usually like, nah, because that's not going to. That's not going to tell me a whole lot new. Um, And I'm not like I probably don't have the skill to to get to that point. Uh, so I usually sort of check out once those those major questions are are, are answered. Uh, and that's why I tend to, to play these games. Uh, I think for Griftlands, it's like I want to see different ways the stories can play out. Um, I want to hang with these characters a bit. I think with Rogue Book, I am still sort of in the learning stage, but I'm also really curious about like different strategies I can push. Right. I think that's that's the that's the other part I'm still really into is this, this idea of there's still so much that can happen in Rogue Book. Uh, there's still like new builds coming into focus that I'm like still kind of on that escalator up. Um, and that, like until I get to the top of that, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of hooked on it. Yeah, I it's so funny you say that. I didn't know about I didn't know that about you, but the fact that like we work well in that you've edited basically every strategy game piece I've written. (laughs) This makes a lot of sense because I'm very similar. Um, And I don't know if this is the same for you, but like my, my approach is very much, I enjoy those moments of discovery and like, I will play it enough times where I really, you know, understand the possible ways I could succeed. But if it's going to be for me personally too hard, like this is going to sound dumb, but I just don't want to have to do the mental math required to make it all the way to the very end and win unless the game like really incentivizes me to do so. Like I, I beat the final boss and slay the spire once and I was like, I did it. I'm done. And then just didn't pick it up again. But with, Oh, that was smart. That was good. <laughs> with a rogue book. I, I could honestly see myself like, just like throwing things at the wall and seeing what happens and like never beating that final boss if it's that difficult. Um, Cause like my, the types of games I typically play, like I, I didn't even, I hadn't played deck builders at all before Slay the Spire. Like my, my typical game that I play is like a hollow Knight type Metroidvania. And like my brand of myopic is 
getting every collectible and like every character like smacking Mm -hmm. every character with the dream nail like for me that's the thing that i tend to get fixated on but for some reason with strategy games like or i also get sucked into like frostpunk like strategy games where where you're physically like building out something and having to manage like ongoing crisis like i don't know what it is about like either an explorable map or like a state of crisis that really does it for me um but yeah like i i just really want to get to the third floor in rogue book like that's my current goal and i have the same kind of relationship with deck builders that rob described as a fling which i think is a great word where i don't find myself like playing them constantly over time i mostly just get really into them for a couple weeks to a month. Like, I think the game in the past year that I've played the most consistently is like the game with the simplest interface. Like I played Grindstone a lot this year. Like for something yeah. consistent, I think I look for like simplicity um, and like not having to exert my brain <laughs> as much. For Roguebook, have have uh, either of you unlocked Cypher, the cursed rat? Yes, I tried to yeah. play as him. <laughs> And I tried once and I was like, I maybe later. <laughs> I, I would suggest working on him. Uh, the Once you figure out how he, how his whole deal works, especially his like rage mechanic. Oh, Cypher rules. I think it's. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I, I think the character design of that character. Is I think bad. it's funny. <laughs> I, I love it. It reminds me of uh, Gloomhaven, the mind hunter. But like if he got really beefy. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. Just, just the yeah, look of a great it, not game the actual, like, other, yeah. character. I don't know why, but in my yeah. head, Sirocco is Demon Mario. I do not know why. I think it's because the little tentacles red. look like a big handlebar mustache. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he's, he, yeah, he's red, he's big, red, and, like, he I don't know. I'm like, I'll bet he's a plumber. Uh, I love that sometimes he burps uh, at the end of a round. I'm like, sir, are you implying that he eats the enemy? Like, yeah, he's drinking his brew, his oh, grog. Oh, oh he's yikes, in yikes. He's a big pirate party animal. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, that's what, but the only reason I say that is that, um, I, I think if you work on Cypher a little bit, it actually makes the make a run for the end of the game pretty hmm. simple. I don't think it means you like get to you know defeat the final boss, but there's something there's something really interesting going on with the design of these characters where like Sirocco and um, and Cypher really give you a powerful team to like just hammer through a majority of the game. And I think gives you a little bit more practice with, uh, especially the late mm. game. Yeah. What's the um, cypher ability where he, if he lands a kill shot, he heals. Um, yeah. I found I that, that very that useful yet. for sort of controlling the depletion of health over the course of the game. Once I sort of realized like, Oh, this guy, in addition to like, you, you want to feed him enough damage to get him enraged. But then you also want to set him up to land those kill shots uh, and basically recover what he lost getting in that rage state. Um, once I sort of figured mm-hmm. that out, I'm like, oh, this dude is making this a lot more straightforward. Yeah. And using Shauna to like bounce back and forth. So having her do a bunch of damage and then flip backward and then putting uh, Cypher out front. I just think really trying to get him in the mix and, and and figuring out how he works is a big thing to getting, you know, getting to the the end game. Um, so that would be my big suggestion to for anyone who's playing Rogue Book is to actually like because it's easy to put the reps in with Shauna and Sirocco early because obviously you just only have them and I, I think it's really it would be really easy to like have some kind of sunk cost fallacy 
you know, ideas of like, well, I understand how these work, but Cypher, I think really does add, um, some just powering through capability. And they've actually recently, actually, since I beat the game or since I was really playing it a whole lot, um, the first major patch made Shauna more viable. Um, when the game in the like review period, Shauna was way underpowered compared to everyone else. So, um, I'm glad to hear that they have rebalanced a little bit. So if you played it when the game first came out, if you're listening and you played it and you were like, oh, I don't know. Shauna has been rebalanced. So they might've also changed her name to Shara. Um, oh, is it Shara? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing the Terry Brooks here. Does Shanara. You know, <laughs> I think we just learned something damning about the fonts they chose really is yeah. uh, what we're, what we're getting here. Um, uh, well, I mean, for the a long time, I just called them human, big red, yep. and then rat. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I love uh, the, the names of anyone in these games are not exactly in my. Uh, and then turtle, of course. See, that's uh, what happens when you just don't like create enough, like strong enough theme. Whereas, like, yeah. all that little that little cast of of dozens in Grifflands, we know we know all of mm-hmm. them. Uh, oh, I know all their names. I love I know all, fish every people. single one of them. Mm-hmm. Little shark people. Yeah, love them. They're, uh, Grork and Gronk. All right, no need to be Heftor. Whatever. Their okay, I are. do love that the bartender friend in Griffland is fish. Fish, like spelled S S H. I think that's good. I like the way the factions shade each other. Yes, it's pretty funny. I like at one point somebody describing like somebody basically like dreading attending a rise meeting. Yes, it's all going to be like overthrow this, manumit that. I I also love that like the deity in the game is called Hesh, and every time you encounter someone, they're like, "May the loving tentacles of Hesh descend upon you." And Sal is like, "Ew, no thanks." Yeah um yeah so they're both you know grifflands rogue book both good games both both a lot of fun uh i think if you're looking for they're so different from slay the spire you know what i mean it's like i don't know Mm -hmm. if you're looking for the next slay the spire i mean i don't know that you need slay the spire is really good at being slay the spire yeah if you're looking for something Mm -hmm. like adjacent to it but like just different enough to feel like a new experience i think both these are uh really good games they do point in really different directions um and i've been happy playing both uh i think that will do it for this week this episode was produced by liana hafer three moves ahead is hosted on the idle thumbs network you can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at three moves ahead.net or follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash three ma finally three moves ahead is supported by listeners just like you on patreon you can learn more at patreon.com slash three ma We'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Nicole, for Cam, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. Night, guys.